0: Well, amen and good morning, Salem Chapel. You can go and have a seat. Uh, My name is Mark Duncan. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem. And I'm so glad to see you with us on this special Memorial Day weekend. There's a lot going on. First thing, I just want to go ahead and get out of the way. I want you right where you're sitting at right now to take a look around this room. You might notice some faces, some younger faces that you wouldn't normally see in here with us today. All right, can we welcome our guests that are, with, that are joining us today uh, properly this morning, our young friends? Here's what you need to understand, church. Some of you saw the sign when you came in, like, oh, family service, oh, that's going to be interesting. Here's what I want to frame. I want to reframe your thinking a little bit, all right? This is God at work in the church of Salem Chapel. As you look around this room and you see little faces, and you may have an occasional a uh, little cry out to go to the bathroom at some point behind you. Okay, those things are gonna happen. Uh, this is an opportunity to rejoice because God is working in Salem Chapel and providing for the next generation. All right, you're seeing Him at work here present today. So we can have a little bit of grace uh, for those little bathroom announcements. We can have a little grace if someone is running up and down the aisle, okay, because God is working. Amen. And for those of you that are like, hey, I don't have kids. I don't get it. All right, get it, dude, because we're about that here. God is doing something, all right? So rejoice. If, you're, if you have an opportunity, thank our friends for joining us this morning. Kids, we're glad that you're with us. I also want to make sure that I recognize uh, and, and so grateful for uh, the sacrifice that we celebrate on this weekend of those that gave their lives to uh, give us freedom here in this country, and uh, we honor them and are so thankful that we, because of those freedoms, we can gather uh, like this, and celebrate our Lord. And so we want to make sure we honor them as well. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be tackling a, uh, a question today that I think we've been trying to figure out, which we, we struggle with this all the time. We're wrestling with it all the time. This is the question that we're tackling today. What is necessary? What is necessary? Uh, Now, the interesting thing about that question is, is if I went around this room and had each of you answer, which we, of course, don't have time to do that, I would be guaranteed that I would get a host of different kinds of replies, right? Your standards for what is necessary are probably different than what mine are, right? Let's put it in context of this weekend. So I know there's probably a lot of people that are throwing parties uh, today or tomorrow, um, would you say, uh, as the person who is the host of the party, would you say their answer to what is necessary for the party is different than what your answer would be if you are just attending the party? Or if you're like some of my friends who come to my parties and they buy the two-liter like one stop away from the house. That's the only thought they put into it, right? Like, yes, it would be a difference of opinion if you're throwing the party versus attending the party. Right? We have a hard time understanding that until we realize there's a great need. Then all of a sudden, everything is important. But if you ask someone, going back to our life, what is necessary? I bet, like I said, different answers in this room. I bet there'd be different answers if you ask someone in a different part of the world. Like, what do you need? What is necessary to you? You know, I kind of like having three meals a day or two meals a day or one meal a day. Like, that seems needful to me. Yeah, maybe your answer would be, well, if I'm I'm being honest, what's necessary to me is maybe a few extra inches on my TV. I want to upgrade, okay? So it's all over the place. I think it's fair to say we don't really understand what we need. We don't really understand what is necessary on a fundamental level. And so what I'm going to read here for us in Luke chapter 10, what I believe God has for us this morning, uh, is a wake-up call. Uh, It's a check on, on what is necessary. It's a very familiar passage Uh, If you've read the Gospels, so even our kids may have heard this story before in Salem Kids. uh, But Luke chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse number 38. Read along with me. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was very distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. If you've got a pen, you can underline in your Bible that phrase, one thing is necessary there's one thing I want us to walk out of this door today with, it's with that. It's very simple. Even the kids can remember this. One main idea, that one thing is necessary. Not one thing is the most necessary. Not one thing is a higher priority. That's a lot of times what this, I think what this passage gets made out to be, priorities. One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And so just to set up what we've got going on here, if you're familiar with the story, lady named Martha and Mary live in the, in the village of Bethany. And they hear that Jesus is coming to town. And I don't know to what extent they know about Jesus. They just know that he's a person of some influence and uh, maybe a little, even a little controversial. And so uh, Martha makes this generous offer. Hey, if he's coming to our town, why don't we invite him to come have lunch with us, right? And all of his disciples. And so she puts the invite out there. And like any good host, Right? As soon as you make an invite for something like that, what, where do your thoughts go to next? What are we going to feed them, right? How are we going to host these people? Now that i put the offer out there. And so she goes into the house. Jesus comes in, probably with all the disciples. They're hanging out in the living room. And where does Martha go? To the kitchen, right? She's going to the kitchen, and she's making the food. And, and there's a lot to be done. Maybe, maybe more people came in the door. One of those sort of things like, I thought it was just inviting Jesus, but then like five of his friends showed up, sort of awkward moment of like, okay, do we have enough to feed him? And she's kinda of panicking, she's going around, looking in the cabinet, she's got flour all over her face, and she's trying to find out what are we gonna to do to take care of Jesus, and she's getting panicked, right? And so she runs into the living room, and lo and behold, her sister that lives with her in this house is not in the kitchen helping out, she's hanging out in the middle of the floor, sitting down, listening to Jesus. And she goes up to Jesus, and she tells Jesus, hey, um, you may not realize, but there's a lot going on in the other room. My sister should be there. Why don't you ask her to come give me a hand, right? And Jesus just lovingly tells her, hey, what Mary has chosen, she's chosen the good thing, to be with me in this place. She, she realizes that there's only one thing necessary, and that's to be here with me in this place. I'm going to make a controversial statement here. I think it's controversial. For many of us, Jesus is in our lives. Another way we could frame it, Jesus is in the living room. He's in our lives. He's in the living room. But we functionally don't live as if he's necessary to our lives, All right? Just like he's hanging out here in the living room, Mary gets it. She's down on the floor. She's taking every word in. And Martha is out in the kitchen. Jesus is in the house, but we're not on the same page. And I think you and I, the hope that we, that we just sang about in Jesus. Right? We even said, said these words. Like, he, he's everything to me. Like, we, we, we say these things so flippantly. And we don't actually live in that reality sometimes. I think, actually, we live like Martha. Martha. We live like Martha. Jesus is in the house, and we're in the next room. So what I'm going to give you today quickly, you notice I've got some voice issues today with some allergies, so bear with me. I don't always sound like I've got gravel in my throat. We're just going to go with it. Good news is, because of that, and probably because we, all, all these little little friends today, we'll probably be fast, all right? So just hang on. All right, so I'm going to give you three reasons today, three reasons we choose, and I'm emphasizing the word choose, to live in the kitchen when Jesus is sitting in the living room. Three reasons we choose the kitchen instead of being at his feet in the living room. So here's the first one. We assume that invitation equates to preparation. We assume that invitation equals preparation. Uh, One of the things that we love doing in our home during the year is to host life group in our place. Love doing it. People come up, and, and, we, and we have a great time together, but what many of my life group folks don't know is about the mad cleaning dash that happens about an hour before they arrive, all right? I get home from work. My wife, Allison, gets home from work. The kids are home from school, and it's like, get in the middle, and like, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. All right, break, and we go, and like, everyone's running around the house doing all the things. You know, I have floors and toilets, in case you're wondering what I, get, what I get picked for, those are in my wheelhouse, I guess. Now, here's the reality. Do you think life group could still happen even if we didn't do those things? I'm pretty sure it could, right? Like, we do have a dog, and there is dog here, but I think it'd be okay, right? I think the importance of why we were there would trump the fact that my house is maybe not as clean as it would be. But that's how we think, though, right? Hey, people are coming over, so I need to get inside and clean it all up and make it look as good as it can. I want to present my best self, right? Because we know people look at us and what do they do? That friend that comes by with like the finger when they think you're not looking and they're like, oh, <sighs> right? At least we think that happens. I don't know. If you have a friend that does that, you probably need to get a new friend, okay? There's, there's some other issues going on there. We, we think that. They're like, they're judging me. They're judging me on the food that I prepared, right? Ever had someone over and you're like, man, I don't know what to make them. I've got like a hot dog and like a loaf of bread. Like what can I make out of that, you know? Serving five people, all right? They're gonna judge me. They're gonna judge me. I think that Martha, in reality, yeah, she's trying to do a very noble thing. She wants to serve Jesus. She wants to prepare food for him. She has a desire, I believe, first and foremost, pure motives. She wants to honor Jesus' visit. That is her desire, right? So she's going about it the wrong way. She's staying in that place of like, I have to be someone that Jesus will want to be around. So I need to prove myself. I I need to prepare the best food. I need to supply the best wine for this meal. I need to make sure everything is perfect right? So I can't afford to mess up this, this opportunity with Jesus. And I think many of, of us have that same understanding when we approach Jesus, whether that's, you know, maybe today you're like, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm just here because I'm here with family and I'm not sure what I think about it. Like, what you need to understand is Jesus in no way, ever, ever, has approached anyone and said, I need you to be a certain way before you and I can have a conversation. I don't need you to clean up your life in any way. I don't need you to act a certain way. I just need you to be where I'm at. And Martha is feeling the pressure of this invitation, which, by the way, she's the one that made the invitation. I find that so ironic. It wasn't Mary. Mary was just kind of along for the ride. She's like, oh, cool, Jesus is here. And she sits down. Martha's the one that invited him. She invited him into her place. What's interesting though is that Jesus' arrival was actually an invitation of a different sort. This is how Jesus operates. When we invite him into our life to get to know him, he invites us to know him more. It's like a cycle of invitation. If you remember when Jesus called his first disciples, kids, you may remember this. Jesus said two words to his disciples as he went around to call them to to come after him. What did he say? Follow me. You know what he didn't say? Here's how long it's gonna take. Here's where we're going. You might wanna pack a lunch. He didn't say any of that stuff. He just said, come follow me. And I will do what? I will make you fishers of men. I will make you into something you're not. You and I are often, I think, hesitant to believe that reality. That Jesus actually wants to be with me in the middle of my mess. That he doesn't need me to do all of these other things first. He just says, Come and be with me, sit at my feet. Let me speak things that are true over you. Let me tell you who you are. You don't need to prove yourself to me. And I think for many of us, that's an obstacle to wanting to be close to Jesus because we believed something that is not true. Jesus didn't come to be impressed by me. Jesus didn't come to be entertained by me or served by me. What is Mark ten forty five says? It says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to do what? To serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to Martha's house for Martha to serve her. Jesus came to Martha's house so that he could serve Martha. It's not what Jesus is expecting of me. It's about what Jesus is making of me. And that's what he wants us to understand when he says only one thing is necessary. So you have so many other things that occupy your life, so many other things, we'll get to some of that later, that distract you and pull you from this reality. You need to recognize only one thing is necessary, and it's to be with me, to be with me, not to impress me, just to be with me. We struggle with that one, don't we? We're we're a very do culture, aren't we? Like we like to get stuff done. Even even when we approach Jesus, we believe Jesus only cares about quote unquote good people. Only good people are going to go to heaven. Like we believe that. You know, we have maybe before. Jesus, like, no, I was good when you were not, so that we could be together. We just sang that song, the Revelation song. And I love that. It's it's directly quoting out of Revelation 21. One of my favorite verses in that chapter is it says, The voice from heaven speaks and says, The dwelling place of God is with man. Jesus is like, I just need you to be with me. When we're together, that will transform you. You don't do the transforming part. I will make you ready when you feel inadequate. Here's the second reason we tend to stay in the kitchen. Right, so we tend to stay in the kitchen because we don't think that we're up to Jesus' standards. This is the second one. When all we see is weakness, what we fear is failure. When all we see is weakness, what we fear is failure. Go back to verse 40. So Martha was distracted with much serving. All right, she is in the thick of it. Right, There's a lot going on. And so she goes up to Jesus and says... Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? An amazing statement that she approached Jesus and asked him, do you not care? Have you ever asked that question to Jesus before? Ever caught yourself asking that? may not be in those exact words. We have countless examples in scripture of other people asking a question like that. Job, because he brings you know, some memories to mind there, had a lot of questions for God. Prophet, Prophet Habakkuk had a lot of questions for God. Had, don't you care? Don't you see what's happening? Even Jesus' closest disciples, when they're in the boat and the storm is happening, and he's asleep in the back because his confidence is in the Lord, they come to him and shake him and say, don't you care? Don't you care that we are perishing? Isn't that an ironic question, though? I mean, the very fact that God himself in human form was in her living room, was that not evidence enough that for sure Jesus cared about Martha? Absolutely. But what Jesus was trying to reveal to Martha in that moment was that her concerns and her worries and her distractions of all these other things that were going on, was not the thing that she needed most in that moment. She needed more of him. When you and I look around and we see weakness in ourselves, and by the way, when we draw close to Jesus, and we really abide with him, and we let him teach us about ourselves, we listen to his word and we read it, guess what? It's gonna do something. It's gonna expose weaknesses. It's gonna expose them. Some of us don't like that, right? You know, I have friends, I have people who are close to me, like, I don't wanna to go to your church because I know there you guys are gonna talk about that sin stuff. Like, well, I mean, that's one of a few things that you might hear. But the reality is, like, we don't talk about the sin stuff without talking about the grace stuff, right? That, it, that broken people, we're all broken people. We're all weak people. We all have... Failures and we all have flaws. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot make those up. We can't do what our world encourages us to do, which is try harder and be better. That's the motto for the world: try harder, be better. Right? We have this mindset of like, I just need more education. If I get more education, then I can do this. You know, if I just go at it from a different way, I can do this. If I just get a different marriage, then I can solve that problem. Right? We think that, we believe that way. And when we're close to Jesus, sometimes that can be, that can be a barrier to me wanting to really ste- take a step closer to him. So I'm like, I don't really want to know, really, I don't want to really be honest with myself about what needs to change. And one of the most sobering things that we have in, in our life group every, I know I've mentioned life group two times, but one of the most sobering things to me is during our guys' breakout time, where just the guys are together. There's a recurring theme that's happened over ten years of life group that I've had the privilege to be a part of, and that is this vulnerability that guys will put out there in that moment, say like, "I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with my work. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. You know, I'm not sure how to fix things in my marriage. I feel like I'm dropping the ball there. I feel like I'm dropping the ball as a leader in our home for our kids." And what you hear, when you hear that over and over and over again, is a vulnerability and an awareness that there's weaknesses here. And for many of us, that's the most scariest thing to us. And you remember those dreams you used to have? Maybe you still have them, like were you I, I remember as a kid, like you had dream that you went to school and you forgot your clothes. Like that's a classic one, right? Or like there's something like missing, like from you know, from your face. Like, you went to school and like you're missing your nose or something weird like that. And you're like, Like, Why do you have weird psychological dreams like that? I'm sure some smarter person than me could probably tell you the exact reasons why. But I think it's like based on the fact that we we don't want to appear incomplete. We don't want to appear vulnerable. That's a a big step for those guys in life group to admit like, yeah, I I don't know how this is gonna work. So I, I think I need to go to Jesus with it. Like we don't want to admit that. That fear of admitting failure uh, bears a fruit in us of wanting to to push away from Jesus, because that's the guy that just exposes my weakness. And then we look for excuses sometimes to do it. I mean, even look at Martha. She went into the living room, and she went straight up to Jesus, and she's like, I can just see her with her hand on her hip like this. Do you know everything that I have to do in that kitchen? You probably don't, but I've got a lot going on. And that girl right there, she should be in here helping me. Why don't you do something about it? Don't you care about this meal? Man, I can hear her saying that, right? That's exactly what we do. We're like, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going through this, that I'm doing this that, this, that I had this failure. It's somebody else. It's my wife's fault that our marriage isn't working out. It's my boss's fault. He's such a jerk, when we get close to Jesus, we are confronted with the reality. Like, no. Yeah, that's a broken person, my boss. And my wife, she's also broken, but the reality is I am broken. I am broken. And I just need to try harder and do better. I need to get my relationship with Jesus in check. I need to spend time with Jesus Jesus' response to Martha's accusation, because that's what it was, right, was what? Martha, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Right now, your mind is only focused here. You're missing the reality that I am in the house with you. I'm here for you. Yes, you may be aware of your weaknesses, but that is why I'm here to reinforce my love for you. And beyond that, if the greatest thing that you need, Martha, is not a better version of you, but is more of me. When Jesus said, one thing is necessary, it wasn't her independence. It was her surrender. Let me carry it. Let me worry about it. Be with me in this moment. Apostle Paul, he spoke about weakness. In fact, he he, he called this weakness that he experienced a thorn in his flesh and it was so bothersome to him. We don't know if it's a medical thing or or some other kind of problem going on in his life, but there's a thorn in his flesh and it was so bothersome to him, he took it to the Lord, Paul says, three times. Three times he prayed, God, take it away from me. In his mind, he's like, this is a distraction, God, from what you want me to do. I've got this this weakness. I've got this thing that's exposing vulnerability. God, take it away. And I love his response, God's response to Paul. And, And keep this in mind. It's this Paul the Apostle that wrote a good portion of the New Testament. If he's experiencing those emotions and those frustrations, and you and I both know that we are as well. So this is God's word to you. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I can boast of all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? Paul didn't just like snap to that reality. That the weaknesses in his life, the, fail, the pending failures, all the balls he's trying to juggle in the air. And he can't keep them all up there. He didn't arrive at the conclusion on his own that God was the one that was going to take care of that. And that there was actually strength in his inabilities. He didn't arrive at that. Jesus brought it to him. When he took those things to the Lord and he abided in his presence and he let him tell him what is true, he told him, Paul, there's a weakness present in your life that for me is gonna be a strength because when you, when you look at that and you see weakness, I see opportunity. I see opportunity to work in that. And you this morning, I don't know what you categorize a, a weakness in your life. We don't tend to want to identify those. They make us ashamed. But if you consider that God may be looking at that as an opportunity to show his power at work in you, as you are faithful to continue pouring into that relationship and letting him teach you and letting him train you and letting him lead you wherever it is he calls you to follow, that in spite of your weakness, He can do amazing things. We have testimony after testimony of weak, broken people in this book that God used to show himself to be great. In fact, scripture says that he he takes the foolish things of the world and he confounds the wise. We we sang that song, there's nothing that our God can't do. We believe that. We believe that, that there's nothing that he can't do. believe that's true of you in your brokenness, in your weakness, when you're focusing on the failure, he invites you to come into the living room and be with him and let him tell you what is true. My weakness is an opportunity to find my strength in Christ. Here's the last reason. The last reason that we're inclined to stay in the kitchen when Jesus is in the living room. We prioritize the recipe over the relationship. We prioritize the recipe over the relationship. Notice the last part of verse 40. After Martha questioned Jesus, questioned his care for her, uh, he th- she then felt even more emboldened and said, tell Mary to get in the kitchen, right? She still hasn't gotten it yet. Like, she's still playing off of her plan. Like We've got to get food on the table. The biscuits are burning, right? Get her in the kitchen, She's not listening to me for sure. She'll listen to you. What's she doing? She's playing by the same recipe that she started off that day. Now, I brought something with me here. Some of you will know what this is. Probably can't see it on there. Um, it's a cookbook. It's a recipe book. Uh, this is an old one, right? Now we just use the internet, okay? But why do we have recipe books? Why do we scour the internets to find that next great chicken recipe, right? Why do we do stuff like that? I'll tell you why. Because we don't have a lot of creativity personally, most of us, all right? Most of us are not trained chefs that have a whole repertoire of things that we pull out on command, all right? Again, most of us are kind of like me where you're like, what do we have in the fridge and what can we make out of it, okay? And we're like, is there a recipe for this? Yes, oh, maybe, right? We're looking through the recipe book and we find one and we're like, aha, there it is right? This is the one. Um, sweet potato pie. That sounds good, actually. So you, can make, you can make that, right? I've got the recipe. Why are recipes so appealing to us? They're appealing because there's shortcuts to victory, right? It's a shortcut to victory. Like, I don't have to go through the hard work of figuring out if this thing actually works out, because France's Youngblood tells me that this is the best sweet potato recipe she's ever made, you know? I can take Francis's word for it. It's going to be tasty. It's a shortcut. Like we like recipes. We like recipes to tell us what to do and how to act and what to think and things that make it easier for me to decide. We like it. I'm going to step on some toes, so hold on. We have a lot of recipes that we live by. All right, let's start with the kids. All right, kids, here's a recipe. It's a good, and by the way, these are not bad recipes. I want to clarify that. These are not bad things. It's context, right? Here's the first recipe. Get good grades in school, kids. That's a good recipe, right? All the parents are like, yes, right? That one, listen to that one. That's a good recipe. Important, right? Here's another one. Participate in all the extracurricular activities you can so it looks good on your permanent record, right? Make sure that it, you're, you're building up that record so that, you know, later it's going to come out great for you. Here's another one. Go to a nice college. All right. Good. We like education. Yep. Marry the love of your life. Like, that's a recipe that we like. And some of us, um, you know, I'm, we're, I'm waiting for that day. Okay. Right. Yeah. We're looking, at, we're looking at, that's one that we, that we have. Here's another one. Get a well-paying job with plenty of opportunities for growth. All right. That's a recipe. Settle down and have a few kids, preferably spaced two years apart. Yeah, so That works out, right? Have some healthy kids, right, that can do all the things. Get those kids in church, and that's a good one, okay? Get those kids in Salem Kids. They need that. That's a recipe. It's a good one, though. It's a good one. Here's one, practical: Make a budget and live on it. A lot of value in that. Here's one. Save up and buy your dream house. Put back money in your retirement and make wise investments. These are recipes, right? It's like, the, like we've collected them over time. And by the way, I was nice. There's a lot of other ones I didn't say. Most of, all of these things are relatively good things, right? Like this is about living. Like this is part of my life but the recipes that that govern our life. We we default to our own recipes and the things that other people taught us and told us were important. We default to that living. We prioritize following the plan. And that's another thing that makes it difficult sometimes for us to want to take a step closer to Jesus because he seems like such a wild card to my plans. Instead of I taking my recipe book to him and saying, "God, these are the things that I want," it's a bolder and a scarier pray, prayer to say, "No. Not my will, but yours be done." Does it mean that these things aren't good things and aren't part of life? No, not at all. Like Martha, she literally had the Son of God on her love seat. And she's concerned about who's cooking the beans. She's like, "It's not that the beans aren't important. But what you need isn't beans. What you need is me. And to be with me, and to hear what I say about you is true. That you surrender your plans, and some of these recipes are very precious. Like great grandma's banana pudding recipe passed down through generations nobody's touching that one some of them hold close and we hear Jesus say come and follow me and obey what I'm calling you to do we're like I, uh, that's, that's not in, in the recipe book though Martha presumed to tell the Lord what he should be about. Do you do that? I do appreciate that Jesus responded with a gentle answer. He didn't say, how dare you talk to me this way, Martha? Don't you know who I am? He didn't have to do any of that. He just said these words, and I'm going to read them to you again. And I want you to put your name in the place of Martha's name when I read this. Let me read this over you. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus was not offering to Martha a quick shortcut. To victory, he was offering her a permanent solution to the only thing that she needed most, which was more of him. Martha says, Lord, you look thirsty. Would you like something to drink? Jesus says, Martha, I want you to taste of the living water. Martha says, Lord, I think the bread is burning. Jesus says, Martha, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never be hungry again. And I, I love that Jesus highlighted, I don't think he was trying to shame Martha when he pointed out Mary, but he said, Martha, before you get upset, like you need to understand something, she's chosen the good portion, which seems to imply that Martha had chosen something else altogether, right? So we have a choice We have a choice Jesus invites us into his space To know him To be with him To let him tell us who our identity is For let him to define what our value is to Let him be our hope And our future And the writer of our plans But We have a choice To leave the kitchen Where we're working And go be With him What are you choosing this morning? Would you bow your heads for a second? Jesus is saying that he is the the one thing that is necessary. He means that that is the case in your day, in your week, in your present, in your future, in your parenting, and in all aspects of your life he is the one thing that you most need. He offers you a choice. He offers you a choice today and every day when he invites you to leave what you cannot carry so that you can gain what you will never lose. Thank you God so much this morning for Jesus. Thank you God that you We're not satisfied to leave us abandoned in our own sin and brokenness. But you made a rescue plan in your son, Jesus Christ. You sent him to our place where we are to live in flesh like we live so that he understands the particulars of what it means. But God, to live in a way that was holy and to willingly serve us by giving up that life on the cross, God, I pray today that we would choose Jesus today and every day to sit at his feet, to listen to what he says, and to let him transform us. And it's in his name I pray this. Amen.